So it's Easter. Happy Easter to each of you. It's nice to see people sitting in front of us today, excited. And there's one big thing to notice, that Jesus conquered death, period. And we had these three women, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome, who went to the tomb, and there they found it empty. Jesus rose from the dead. And I can't help but to imagine what those women felt like that day when they went there. They're, they're going to do their duty of, of putting the spices on his body, and they're probably all weirded out about how are they going to move this giant stone because the stone would have like slid downhill to go into place. So not only was it a giant stone, then they had to push it uphill to move it. And I'm sure all these thoughts are going to their mind. And then they arrive, and it's already done, and the tomb is empty. And we kind of like breeze past what those women must have felt at that moment. But imagine the surprise that rushed through their body by having the empty tomb. But then the angel says to them, go and tell the disciples and Peter that they have to go to Galilee. So why Galilee? Galilee is about 80 miles away from where they are at that time. I mean, that's in those days a long walk. Right? They either jump on the back of a donkey or they're hoofing it 80 miles. So this is not an easy suggestion. Why in the world did both the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark indicate that the disciples had to go back to Galilee? Galilee is where it all began. Jesus walked along the shore. Jesus took the men as they were fishing and he pulled them out of those waters and said, follow me. And they dropped their nets and they followed Jesus. They had to go back to the beginning where everything started just so that they could reread the entire story. So if you remember all the marking accounts up to this point, after Jesus would do something, he would always say, don't tell, don't tell. But now the angel is saying, go and tell, because now the story, this part of it is complete. And so as we go back and we reread re the entire account of Jesus's life, now we can look at it through the lens of the cross and its victory. So every miracle he did, every encounter, every healing, all the new community, the excitement, even the betrayal can be looked at through a different lens because now we know that this is all because of the supreme act of love of Christ for us. It changes everything when we look at it because we know the ending. And if we started the ending, which is the, really the new beginning, and we look at this story, we know it's complete. We know that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that not even death had power over him. As a general rule, the gospel resurrection stories typically ended on like a note of triumph. The angel would come and say like, all is going to be well. But this particular one in the Mark's gospel, it, it doesn't end that way. It ends on a little bit more of a subdued, somber note. The final words of that resurrection account is, they were afraid. It doesn't scream hope, does it? It's a little bit different than the others. I mean, yes, we have the rock that's rolled back. We have the angelic message. But the other resurrection stories have the account of Jesus um, having this lakeside barbecue where he cooked up fish for the guys or him walking down the road to Emmaus or even he was a surprise gardener in one of them. 
But not in this one. In the Markin resurrection story, we know that Jesus rose from the dead. We know that his disciples are being told to go to Galilee. And we know that there are three terrified women paralyzed by their fear. So when we look at this story, we think, why did it end this way? Well, the audience that was being addressed in Mark was actually Christians who were being persecuted and who were facing martyrdom. So the cross took on a whole different meaning for them. This was something that they could endure. So they had to, they had to write this, this um, message to these people who were going to be walking the same walk. But you and I still live in this place. We still live after the resurrection and before the return of Christ. We still live with this good news that we don't fully understand that we're supposed to tell. And we still live in fear. So my question to you, if this story is as much for us as it was for the disciples, what is your Galilee? Doesn't mean a place necessarily. What is your Galilee? Maybe it's a situation. Maybe it's a frame of mind. Maybe it's a choice that you've made. But it could be some desolate journey that you are having to travel on. Maybe it's some physical, emotional, sexual, spiritual thing that you are wrestling with, some sort of a pain that you can't get through. Maybe it's dashed promises, broken relationships, unrealized hopes. Or maybe it's just your unremarkable everyday circumstances that you live in. But we all have our own Galilee. And whatever it is that you're enduring, we have this joy-filled, hope-filled message of the Easter promise that's made to us through Christ. And we know that Christ has gone ahead of us and Christ is going to arrive at that place before we do. So that when we get there, we can fall into the arms of our Savior. The Lord is waiting for us. And we're told not to be afraid, but yet we're always afraid. And the gospel is really clear that we need to go back to the place of pain. We need to go back to where it all began. We have to go there to receive those gifts of the promise of Christ. Because then we become witnesses to this resurrection hope. And then we can go out into the world and tell how Christ is still alive today and still active in our life. All areas that look, look like there's no life, that looks like it's death, Christ can breathe new hope into. Just as Christ did on this Easter morning. So whatever it is that you're facing, Christ can make life out of the ashes. There's a spiritual teacher who I really enjoy. His name is Michael Beckwith, and he's with Agape International. And I had a whole different Christ or Easter message written. And then I listened to this guy the other day and I thought, darn it, I got to scrap that and start over. Because I really feel like this is something that we can all learn from. He has these st stages of spiritual development. 
And the hope is that as we um, recognize where we kind of fall, that we invite Christ to take root in our soul and to open up possibilities, the impossible that we never even dreamt of. So Michael Beckwith talks about the first stage being the to-me stage. This is the belief that life is happening to us. This is the idea that we don't really have control over our lives because there's all these external forces that are pulling on us, people, situations, things out of our control. And that's determining how things are happening in our lives. This is where we tend to have the blame game. Or you hear people yell out, come on, God, why are you doing this to me? Or you say, like, if this person only did this, my life would be that. This is the victim place. But then we can elevate and we can go into stage two, which is the by me stage. And this is when we realize that we no longer have to be victims. We worship a God who's been victorious over the grave. We do not have to be victims. We can actually have a role in positively affecting our reality and our experiences by altering and observing the thoughts and the beliefs and the behaviors that we have, we can take necessary action to transform them. As it says in Romans 12 too, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, his perfect will. So when we stop trying so hard to control every area and we let loose a little bit, we will recognize, wow, God's got us. And that helps us to move into stage three, which is the through me stage. This is when we place our complete trust in God. This sounds way easier than it is. This is when we realize we have tried everything in our spiritual toolbox and we are depleted and we need something more. So we just stop what we're doing and we surrender and we hand over the reins to God and we say, take over. And the beautiful thing is when we let go, this is all of a sudden when we realize that the infinite possibilities explode and God starts working through us and we realize what God really is for us. God is not against us. And this is when exciting things start to happen in our lives. And hopefully we make it to stage four. Not many of us will ever get to stage four. Think of this on par with the Dalai Lama and Jesus Christ and all of the peacekeepers, the Gandhis, all the people in the world who have total inner peace. This stage is called the as me. And when we reach this stage, we develop an intellectual understanding that we're all connected. And not only that we have the understanding, we actually become one. We feel connected with all of creation. We no longer have judgment. We don't attach meaning to things or outcomes. Our ego is checked at the door. And this is where true freedom comes from, true inner peace. This is knowing that God is with us and that we are divine as me. So which stage do you find yourself falling into? And maybe in some areas of your life you're here, in other areas you're there. Now whatever number you just put in your head, research indicates 
that you're probably one less than that. We like to overestimate how good we are. So we all have room for growth. We all have areas of our spiritual development that need growing because we have not allowed ourselves to trust in God. But what if, just imagine for a minute, if you let go and you really let God, who's already preparing the way for us, who's already gone before us, who already knows how this story is going to pan out, what if you just let go and imagine those endless possibilities? See, we are Easter people. We don't need to live as victims. We can toss that right out the window because you don't have to blame other people for what's happening in your life. You have the same power in you, the same Holy Spirit living in you that raised Jesus from the grave. That same power is able to transform your mind, transform that self-talk that, 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 that always is gnawing at you. You have the power in you to be the co-creator of the life that you want. That is what Jesus is telling us. And better yet, if you just let go of the reins, Christ is going to lead you to places that you don't even fathom right now. But yet we often assign judgment to things. And instead of just accepting things as is, we like to make them right or wrong. And when we start to put meaning on everything, we put God in a box. But when we let go of that is when God surprises us. These uh, Easter women that got to go and witness the resurrection first, they saw the impossible done. They witnessed that empty tomb. You and I, my friends, have a God of surprises. A God who literally wants to make us amazed by what God will do in our lives. Leave us in utter amazement. That is what the Easter hope is. Never did we expect to be living our second Easter together in a pandemic. Never. This place is usually rocking. It's packed. We love Easter because the energy is boiling over. Never did we do that. But here's what's happened. We've allowed this little virus itty-bitty thing, to control our lives. We've lived as victims to this for two years. Well, two Easters. We've allowed this fear to creep in and literally take control of us. And yes, it's necessary to be cautious. I understand that God's given us the free will to make good choices. But stop living as victims. Stop it. We can live as victors. We have a God who can do the impossible. We have a God who has already gone forward, who knows how this is going to pan out. We know that this is the beauty of our Easter message. We don't need to go on Facebook or Instagram and start pointing fingers and blaming people why this is so much worse than it needs to be. Stop it. You have a God who can do the impossible. You do not need to live in fear. And the reason we find ourselves in these personal Galilees is because we allow fear to grip us. We allow fear to have such a hold on us. Think about in your life where fear is holding you back right now. But today, I am here to remind you 
that Jesus is faithful. That we have this Jesus who is one step of any fearful flight that we might be experiencing right now. So if you want to experience the risen Christ, you have to go back to your Galilee. Go back to that place of fear. Go back to where it all began. Go back to where those promises will meet us. And it's there where Jesus is promising to minister to us. Jesus always ministered, ministered to the brokenhearted. He always healed the ones in distress. He always brought hope to situations that looked hopeless. He broke down barriers that separated people. This is who Jesus wanted to go to. Today, that is you and I. And when we let go of that fear and we invite in that spirit, we allow for resurrection hope to fill us. And that's where we get to grow spiritually, where we get to experience the risen Christ and where we get to be surprised by our God. So if you've heard nothing today, hear this. On the other side of fear is love. We're told in 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. We are Easter people. We are resurrection folks. So go live in that love because Christ is already there. Jesus Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we are so grateful for this reminder that no matter what we are facing, no matter what Galilee we find ourselves in today, you are already there. You are already there waiting for us with your arms outstretched, ready to catch us, ready to bring hope into us. So help us to let go of the reins to let go of the need to control every aspect of our life. Help us to live in love, knowing that you've got plans for us that is way bigger than anything we could ever imagine. And whatever it is we're going through right now, whatever hardship, whatever Galilee, this is not forever. What is forever is the hope in you, that you are always with us, always have been, always will be. So come, Lord Jesus, bless my friends. Let them feel your resurrection hope boiling over in them today. In your holy name we pray. Amen.